This is CouncilCast, part of the Legal Talk Network, and I'm your host, Karen Conroy. When you face a complex case outside your expertise, you bring in a co-counsel for next-level results. When you want to engage, expand, and elevate your firm, you bring in a marketing co-counsel. In this podcast, I bring in marketing experts who each answer one big question to help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hi, my name is Art Bell. Great to be here on CouncilCast with Connor. I wrote a book about one of my greatest adventures in business. It's called Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. I learned a lot starting that company inside HBO in 1989, and I hope I can share some of that with you. Awesome. Art Bell, I'm so excited to have this conversation. I think this is going to be a a little different and a unique conversation that there's so many different directions we could take this and, you, you know, talk about your expertise and background. But the main thing that as we were talking that I wanted to kind of bring forward and talk to the audience about is this idea of an intrapreneur. So starting with the letter I instead of E, and kind of how that relates to your background as well. So how Comedy Central kind of became part of HBO and and that whole story, but also how that relates to lawyers and law firms. And so I have a lot of ideas about how that can come into play. But first of all, thank you for being here and thank you for your time today. And I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. Okay, so let's start with this idea. What is an entrepreneur with an I? Entrepreneur with an I is someone who starts a business inside another business. In my case, that was starting Comedy Central inside HBO. Tell me about that. I'm sure you've told this story countless times, but that is such a fascinating kind of adventure, like you said. So how did that even come about? Well, I always had an interest in comedy from the time I was a kid. Loved comedy, did some writing, a little bit of performing, not so much. But I came out of business school and I, unlike my compatriots who were all going to Wall Street, I wanted to work at a comedy channel, but there wasn't one. This was like in the mid 80s. You know, MTV was around and CNN and, you know, lots of lots of cable channels were starting up. And I thought, why is there no comedy? Ch-? I love comedy. Yeah. So I made it my goal to talk to people about, you know, hey, how about a comedy channel? And that's what I did for three or four years. And everybody said, it's it's a bad idea. I that's was just going to say, that must have not sounded like a, a very profitable idea for one. And why would anybody want to do that? How did you bring people around to that idea? Well, it's interesting you say you don't think it was very it would be very profitable. I'm curious, why do you think? Just from like a 30,000 foot view initially, obviously looking back on it, it of course <laughs> was profitable. But at the time when you're talking initially about it, my thinking, if you and I are walking down the sidewalk and you're telling me about this idea to have a comedy channel, I'm picturing like cartoons maybe or something very childish or but something that would probably be hard to pitch to advertisers. How did you that come around? We'll get to all that. One of the big objections was it's too expensive. Oh, because comedy is, you know, it's a writer's art. And for example, Johnny Carson, he had a, like a bunch of writers, and certainly Letterman has a, had a bunch of writers. Everybody has a bunch of writers. Those sure. guys are expensive, especially yeah. the good ones. So they said, you know, we can't. It's very hard to do that. And I said, well, what if we found a way to do it inexpensively to start? 
Because ultimately, I, had a, I was very passionate about it, but I also had a vision for what the channel should be. I okay. wanted it to be kind of a celebration of comedy. Yeah. Like, you know, the center of the comedy universe. At that point, there, were, there weren't a whole lot of comedy entities, brands. There was Saturday Night Live and National Lampoon, which was kind of dead by then. But sure. that, was, that was it, you know. That yeah. was pretty much it. Johnny Carson's show, but that, you know what I mean. That wasn't quite a comedy brand. So I said, we need, the world needs one of these things. And I said, if we can do it inexpensively to start, would that work? And the answer was ultimately yes. But the first time I pitched it to the head of programming at HBO, she told me for 15 minutes, she spent telling me what a terrible idea it was. Not only expensive, no comedians would want to be on it. Nobody wants to watch that much comedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, she went on and on. And I didn't even say anything. I mean, I was just a kid then pitching a crazy idea, right? So at the time, and this is something that I want to bring kind of circle back on. But at the time, what was the first iteration of your idea? Was it stand up like straight comedians just with stand up shows? Or what was the first idea? No. And this will be interesting to the lawyers out there because I spent the first, when we first started this, we had to get approvals from all the guilds in Hollywood. Okay. Because the, the idea was we were going to use clips, short form clips from comedy movies and television. Okay. Right? See also YouTube, you know, yeah. I mean, you know where all those clips are. But in those days, you couldn't use a clip. Sure. If you wanted to do a clip show or use a clip, you had to pay a fortune for it. I said, if we do it as a promotional, you know, on a promotional basis, put the name of the movie, you can rent the movie at Blockbuster, remember those days, then it's promotional. And then the guilds have a promotional exception. But the lawyers said, you got to check. So I spent months riding around Hollywood, <laughs> going from guild to guild, trying to talk people into this. And ultimately, I did. I talked everybody into it. So it was initially kind of a clip show or you were kind of showing what what was the first set of shows that were showing up on and was it called Comedy Central at the time? No, we started it. It was called The Comedy Channel, which I thought was a pretty good name, given that it was a comedy channel. And first show, John Stewart hosting Short Attention Span Theater, where it was a hosted clip show. We had Stand Up Stand Up, which was stand up clips. We had Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah, which is cool, which came in the mail, by the way. And that was... <laughs> That was the first time I realized when that showed up in the mail, before we launched, I said, this, this channel is going to be successful because the whole idea is for comedy to find us, great comedy to find us. And they wrote us a letter and sent the tape and they said, hey, we hear you guys are starting a comedy channel. Is this something that would interest you? Of course, uh, it that's was. Amazing. We flew out there, of signed course. them right up. Yeah, and the rest yeah. is history. So yeah, I mean, that was kind of our opening. And we, we did have movies and some TV shows. Yeah. Okay. So coming back to this idea of like, first of all, it didn't even have the same name at the beginning. And, you know, it's not really, it doesn't look the same today as it did then. And it really shouldn't. Does anything? <laughs> well, exactly. That's kind of the point I was trying to get to is like in this idea of an entrepreneur, the recognition of that first draft and that first draft shouldn't be you know, what you expect to see next year or five years down the road or however many years now <laughs> down the road we are. How much of an awareness did you have at that point that this was just the starting point? Well, you know, I was, I was fairly young. I had no experience in programming television. I yeah. had no experience in comedy professionally. 
As a matter of fact, they teamed me up with the head of comedy at HBO. And the first thing he said to me before he said, hi, Art, was, what do you know about comedy? And he was kind of edgy about it, you know? Because this guy had been working in comedy for 10 years. He knew everything about it. You know, so I had conviction that the, the a comedy channel was the right thing to do. I knew that whatever we started with would probably not last into, <clears throat> excuse me, into eternity. We launched, and it was a disaster, by the way, at launch. Terrible. The press creamed us. They said, oh, HBO no. just launched a comedy channel. It's not funny. And what are they thinking? And this is a disaster for them. Oh, and no. Yeah. And I felt this, is, this was really the one time I felt the weight of an entire organization on my shoulders. So that, that is hard. a moment. And that's that a moment hard. that I feel like, especially these lawyers who are starting firms or even mid-career and this idea of the entrepreneurship, that is something that I feel like anyone making these decisions and trying to kind of lead an organization or lead even a part of an uh, organization, that's the worst, where you're feeling that weight and things aren't necessarily going the right way. They're not necessarily going according to plan or you're getting some negative feedback or whatever the case might be. So obviously that wasn't the end of the story because, you know, <laughs> we all know how things are going now. So what did you do to kind of pull through that and how did that turn around? Well, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people ask me, yeah, how'd you get through it? Everybody was kind of screaming at you, which yeah. is how, what it felt like. Sure. Uh, including some of the people internally saying, oh, my gosh, I just gave up this other job to take this job. And now this thing's a disaster. Again, I, I had a lot of conviction that there should be a comedy network in, in the world. And yeah. I went to work every day saying, OK, what can I do more of that's working and what can I do less of that's not working? And that was my approach. And, you know, I just I really try to tune out all the criticism and everything. I mean, it was just it was relentless. The subtitle of my book, which is, you know, how I started Comedy Central and lost my sense of humor, is really about a time I got called in by the chairman of HBO. Now, let me just tell you about the chairman of HBO. He had just been named the most powerful man in Hollywood by the New York Times. Oh, geez. And yeah, and I was not the most powerful man in Hollywood. <laughs> I was not the most powerful man anywhere, actually. And uh, way down on the York chart, he called me in and he said, you know, Art, it took a comedy channel to get me to lose my sense of humor. Oh. And, yeah. You know, how's that for a knife through the throat? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was a good it was a good evaluation of the situation. <laughs> like things were not going well. But yeah. I will tell you what happened. And you mentioned the fact that we changed our name. Yeah. We got competition. Oh. MTV Networks, as soon as we announced, this was before we launched, as soon as we announced that we were gonna launch, MTV Networks said the next day, we're gonna launch one too. Oh, interesting. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things I found out in business, and that was the first real big lesson, don't underestimate the competition. I mean, yeah. listen, there were lots of great cable television networks out there. You know, MTV Networks and MTV and Nickelodeon, Nick at Night. I mean, they, they knew how to do this stuff. Right. So that was pretty scary. But I will say this, competition makes you better. That's something that, you know, in every business, including law, you know, you can have competition. Right. But and you should. I mean, that makes all of us work harder, strive to kind of, you know, edge them out. So MTV says that they're going to do a competitive network. And in my previous life, I worked for in the real estate industry. And to me, that is just like, 
the market speaking. You know, the market is telling you what people want. And MTV is saying, oh, okay, well, we don't want to miss out. And you guys have that that first mover's advantage, you know, all those, you know, typical things that you talk about in business school. So MTV is coming along as the kind of second man to the <laughs> the idea. Did you have people around you that recognized, okay, the fact that MTV is wanting to do this is is giving me a vote of confidence. So we need to keep pushing forward. Yes. Okay. Actually, I was the only one who kept saying that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> As well, I was one trying voice. to convince people that we weren't going to die here. I kept yeah. saying, look, you know, a year ago, there were no comedy channels. Now there's two. That's something. And we From went major head- companies too. They're not just right, like two right. little like but local cable channels. You, you hit the nail on the head. They did not want HBO to get that space. They weren't sure that space was real. Obviously, yeah. they hadn't been working. They launched six months after we did which means we had a six-month head start putting it together. Yeah, which is a long time in the life of a, of a channel. I, I think that's true. And at least getting started and kind of getting people familiar with it. Yeah, and what it did was they had to, they had to come up with a channel concept that was not our channel concept. Yeah. Right? They had to do yeah. something completely different to, to differentiate themselves in the market. And they said, hey, we are long-form programming. We're going to show sitcoms. And not going to show a lot any stand-up comedy. We are comedy for people from age 5 to 95, which is not a way to define your target audience. And no. they put a lot of old sitcoms on to start. So we were trying to be, you know, what's happening now, edgy comedy. Yeah, 18 to 34, the, you know, the really up and coming. Okay, so I don't even know the answer to this. So where is it now? Who owns Comedy Central now? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> CBS, Viacom, somewhere in there, somewhere in that space. I, I don't work selling? there anymore. Just, just so you're clear, yeah, I left there after eight years and okay. went on to other channels. So, um, but H- HBO is out of the picture. HBO sold it to Viacom. Yeah. And what about MTV's Comedy Channel? Is does that still exist? No. What happened is they launched six months after us. Yeah. They were called Ha the Comedy Network, <laughs> and I know. Which sounds and, so dumb. <laughs> Yeah, I was interviewed in Rolling Stone. They said, what do you think of their name? And I said, I hope they keep it. Because I thought, I thought it was terrible. But anyway, so yeah, so they launched six months after us. Six months after that, after we'd gone head to head, and the press was calling it the Comedy Channel Wars, I got a phone call and they said, we're going to merge the channels. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, not interesting. Horrifying. Oh, sorry. I mean, I thought okay. it was horrifying. We were fighting in the trenches. I mean, we were really thinking we were winning. We had yeah. better ratings. We had better programming. We had we had more heart. Yeah. <laughs> we and had, you, it was your idea. You started it. And they're just a bunch of copycats. Yeah. I mean, sort True. of. Like, yeah, a copycat with the variation. True. But you know what? I, I mean, that's an interesting point because it's very hard to copy somebody's idea Letter for letter, let's put sure. it that way. So, you know, people always say, well, did you talk, you know, you probably didn't tell a lot of people about your idea because you wanted to keep it secret. And I said, oh, au contraire. I yeah. told everybody. And the reason I told everybody, because I wasn't worried about them copying it so much, as like, I wanted to get feedback on the idea. It's too yeah. expensive, this, that, that. You know, you want to hear that. Yeah. So that's what I did. Anyway, we, we merged the channels. I thought I was going to get fired. They fired a lot of people. Sure. But they put me and the head of... Uh, Haas programming together and they said you guys figure it out you got to figure out what the programming is who you're going to hire how you're going to relaunch and what the new name is yeah because we okay. couldn't call it either Ha or the ha. Comedy Channel <laughs> yeah right well that was good news on the Ha, ha Central 
So we renamed it and we launched and we relaunched and we put it together. And the, the heavy betting was that we weren't going to make it through the year because mergers, listen, I'm sure lawyers know it's that. Tough. You know, you merge yeah. firms. It's very, very difficult. You're, you're putting two completely different cultures together, which right. is true. And yep. two different concepts for your business together. Mm -hmm. Very hard. And so, you know, the second And you kind of have thing. people working together that 10 weeks or a couple weeks ago used to hate each other. And they exactly. were like, you know, and, and so it's hard to sort of be like, oh, all of a sudden I'm happy to see you and let's have a little hug, a <laughs> group hug. <laughs> yeah. And there was the same kind of bitterness on their side because, you sure. know, my boss, the head of the channel was fired. You know, the main yeah. company president, he was fired. And their boss was fired. And right. that's like, you know, a bad day when your boss gets fired. Yeah. Because you like yeah. your boss usually, you know, and it's sure. part of the team. Hopefully. So everybody kind of moped in. But, you know, a month later, we were all crazy working together. And, yeah. and we, we wanted to make sure there was a comedy network in the world. So this is such a fascinating story. And what I'm actually really drawn to is, you know, it, it's kind of easy to look at the Comedy Central path and say, oh, look at that. It was a great idea. And it, you know, went all along. You, who knows that you couldn't have obviously predicted the future, but it's obviously where it all worked out. But what to me is even more interesting is to look at the HBO path and the ha, <laughs> whatever they call it, uh, and everything they did wrong. And so when you look at this idea, because both of these were entrepreneur ideas, but MTV kind of did everything wrong. And they were second to market. They were just kind of jumping on an idea that they just were, you know, desperate to kind of possess. And then they were just trying to do programming that that met the needs of every single possible audience, which that never works in business either. So Tell me what your thoughts are on kind of what they did wrong. And then how did you integrate that once you guys merged where they had all these, from this outsider's perspective, bad ideas, and you guys had all the good ideas. And how did you kind of integrate that stuff together? Well, listen, let me disabuse you of the notion that they had all the bad ideas and we had okay. all the good ones. They are skilled and they were skilled programmers. When you do a channel, it's for the rest of your life, as someone pointed out to me. You know, it's always there. But it's always changeable, too. So they came out of the box with a particular notion. We came out of the box with a particular notion. My notion didn't work out. I will say that eight weeks before we launched with those clips, the Directors Guild of America, the DGA, called and said they changed their mind, and they didn't want us to do it. So all that programming that I put together to launch was gone. Anyway, so ours, it really didn't work. We had to kind of change change things up. Theirs, I don't think, and, you know, it's interesting because we talked to them, you know, when we merged in years later, I don't think they were going to stick to that necessarily either. I mean, they know what channels are like. You kind of, you know, you kind of duck and and jive and, you know, move with what's working. And, and they did some original programming and we did some original programming. So I don't think anybody did anything wrong. Second to market, second to market is not really necessarily a bad thing. I mean, BlackBerry was first to market, right? And whatever happened to them, right? Second to market allows you to not make the mistakes you think your competitor did. And also, it, it gives you a good opportunity to define yourself in terms of somebody else and differentiate yourself. Because what you really have to do in television and probably in everything at a law firm, I mean, you know, you have to really represent your brand and represent who you are and who you're for and all of those things. And that is a tremendous amount of work. 
I mean, that's all behind the scenes stuff. You know what that is. If you don't do it, you don't succeed. I mean, in anything, you really have to know what you stand for, what your vision is, what your so-called elevator pitch is. I hate that term. But, you know, what you're all about in order to make sure that you're not going to fail by doing too much or not satisfying your, your original uh, goals. So, yes, we, we came together. We were both pretty wet behind the ears at that point. And, and we, we chose a lot of things from each of our programming. You know, we put the, we put the best stuff together. So your, your kind of path forward, when you talk about figuring out who you are and what that brand is, it sounds like at that point when you came together and you had that merge, you had to rethink almost all of that and kind of bring everybody's thoughts and, or at least a good part of it. Was, is that fair to say that, I mean, you had a new name, you had a new, a whole group of different people. Were you rebranding the whole channel or, or how did that work? Yeah, well... Essentially, that's right. I mean, and the exercise of coming up with a name forced us to talk about what we wanted the channel to be. And in, in my book, I tell the story of the name, which is extremely funny how that happened, because nobody really wanted it to be Comedy Central at the time, except a few of us. But we, we had hired naming companies and experts and stuff. And they said, you know, you guys tell us you want to be the center, you know, the center of the comedy universe. You want to be Comedy Central, but you could never name it that. That's what they said. <laughs> I said, why not? And they said, well, you know, it's too on the nose. And if you want to go into some other kind of programming, I said, what are we going to do? Cover uh, girls' high school basketball? I mean, what are you talking about here? And, it's too perfect. It's and, too good for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. We We had no... Anyway, so what happened is we, we took their names and we threw Comedy Central into a batch of names that were being tested. Comedy Central floated to the top pretty quickly. So that was that. That's an interesting kind of method, too, is especially I feel like when I am working with a lot of law firms, you do have this design by committee idea. And especially when they are going through these mergers and they have a hard time making decisions. Like a lot of time goes into, okay, there's six names on the sign. What order do we put the names in? And the number of committee meetings on these things are ridiculous. But at the end of your story is you put it out to the market and you, t you let the market speak to you. So for whatever methods that you think are going to happen when it comes to marketing, at the end of the day, it's what is what do the people say? You know, how do they respond to your message, and how do they? Uh, how does your your name or your message or your ad or whatever the case might be? How does that resonate? And then that's the end of the that's the end of the story. Even when I was in real estate, did your house sell at that amount? No. Well, then it wasn't worth that. <laughs> so that you know, what did the market say? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Listen, we spent a lot of time, as most television programmers do, and television marketers on research. We talked yeah. to the audience a tremendous amount. And the kind of research I wanted to do early on, especially, is like we wanted to talk to our audience and say, hey, what does comedy mean to you? And you talk to guys, you know, 16-year-old or 18-year-old guys, and they say, well, you know, I like comedy because if I'm funny, then, you know, the girls will pay more attention to me. I mean, you got <laughs> stuff like that, you know? Yeah, sure. I know it sounds juvenile. I'm yeah, but it's to... true. Yeah. yeah, right. And so you had to learn about what your audience thought about your product even before you designed your product. Yes. Um, and that was very helpful. Yeah. There's two things that go into research, and I don't even know how much research law firms do about stuff like that. But two things that go into research, one is doing it, 
The other is interpreting it and making it work for you. Part two is a lot harder. And yeah. the people who can do that are really special. So doing the work, but then putting it out there and interpreting the results, is that what you mean? Interpreting the results and say, okay, so here's the results. Now what are you going to do about it? You know. Okay. So uh, what does this mean in terms of our plan? Our plan, our product, our marketing, our advertising, yep. our yeah. press communication, and yeah. future product innovations, you know, all sure. of that stuff. Yeah, I think the research part for most of the firms I work with is overwhelming. And so they they just kind of go with their gut and then they call it their expertise. <laughs> and so well, let's talk um, about that. I mean, you know, listen, I'm fascinated. By the way, I love lawyers. I've worked with zillions of lawyers, as you can imagine. Yeah. And I always said, I want to have a great lawyer by yeah. my side whenever I'm doing anything. Because, Absolutely. And I, I look for to. that. Yeah. 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 But so tell me about the kind of research that law firms do. The ones that we work with, we do the research. We have a conversation with the firm about their overall strategy, and we are trying to get to the ideas of who their clients are, why they hire them, you know, what their positioning is. And then we define that strategy in terms of how we're going to approach those clients. And it shouldn't be the same for every firm because we work with firms across all different kinds of practice areas. So figuring out how you're going to find those clients and, you know, this idea, a lot of them start by saying, oh, all of my all of my clients come in through referrals. And it's all just a referral based business, which to me is a, a huge red flag and instantly indicates that they really have no strategy. And so it's not that referral based business is a plan that's going to continue to work. It's that they they need a strategy. And then we have to lay it all out, figure out how we're going to do that research, how we're going to define their market and then go after that market in a way that isn't happening usually when they we initially have those conversations. That's great. I mean, that's very smart. That is very smart. And it's nice to hear that that law firms like everybody else, they undertake the understanding or expanding or working on their strategy the way every business does because they should. But you, you said earlier that when it comes right down to it, it gets to somebody at the at the firm. It's their gut. It's their intuition. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times it's the kind of founder of the firm. And that's that's usually before we come in. And I will say it is great that a lot of them are looking at that strategy, but the majority, it doesn't even occur to them that they need a strategy. They think that either their referral plan is their strategy or the idea of strategy is not necessarily something they learned in law school. So it's like, I'm just going to kind of, you know, put the horse blinders on and kind of go forward in my path. Do the best job I can as a lawyer. and Yeah, yeah but then you're riding the roller coaster of business and you don't necessarily know when business is coming in. You don't really have a system for that. So as much as we work with on the strategy, the majority of firms that come to us have, it's, it's a new process, even if they've been around for 10 or 15 years and they've, they didn't do it in the, in the beginning. The other thing that comes to mind is do you do research on their marketing? Well, we, we try, but what their idea of marketing is and what my idea of marketing is are often two different things. So they often don't have a lot in place. A, a lot of times when they've reached a certain level of success, they are just like putting out fires and they are just trying to get the things done that are the most urgent, most squeaky wheel. And so this idea of having an actual marketing plan and a strategy and whatever they're doing is not necessarily 
happening unless they're, you know, on, on the larger size firm, sometimes they'll have someone, an actual dedicated person in their firm who's, you know, doing marketing or a combination of marketing and some other administrative stuff. But even then, it depends where they come from. If they come from a background in a certain kind of marketing, that's the stuff they're going to focus on. So we try to come in and kind of lay it all down and look, look at it in a more integrated approach where, you know, here's where you are, here's where you were, here's where you want to go. And let's lay it all out, plan it out at a, a year at a time, so that we're not just flying by the seat of our pants at every new social media thing. Like some lawyers should be on TikTok, but most should not. <laughs> so yeah, we, we take a look at what's happening, but it's always interesting. It's always kind of, you know, opening up the hood of a old rusty car and, and kind of squinting and wondering what might be under there. <laughs> That's very commendable. These are important things. These are important things to all companies and firms. Well, I, what I think is so uh, relevant to this idea of a growing law firm is this concept of the entrepreneur that we're talking about, where there are these subsections of your firm or your business and how you can grow those and how you, a lot of times in larger firms, there's a few different practice areas and there's you know one area that a certain set of lawyers are trying to grow and they really are building that separate from the other parts of the firm. And so this idea that you can take a separate approach and kind of go out and obviously under the umbrella of the larger firm and grow that in a way that can be new and different and really approach your clients in a new and different way. I feel like that really applies to this whole conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Let me, let me just sort of give it a blanket statement. You want in, in your firm, and companies have found this too, you want everybody in the firm thinking like an entrepreneur. You want everybody in the firm to be thinking about, you know, what innovation is going to help here? What opportunity are we not taking advantage of that I want to tell management about? Because I think we can do something with that. And that relies also on top management or, and I don't know how every law firm is, is organized, but there's, a man, there's managing partners and yeah. That requires them to be open to that. And that sometimes is a bridge too far for some companies. Because if you, if you think that all the great ideas are coming from the top, then you're wrong. They're not coming from the top. They're usually coming from the bottom or the middle. And, you know, at the point where you're at the top of the company, you should really be kind of parsing the, the ideas or the, you know, the commentary or the concepts that are coming through and saying that's a good one, that's not a good one. Yeah, if the bottom and the middle aren't bringing all those ideas forward, you've done some bad hiring because you should be hiring for people who are experts in that role and they should know exactly where your weak points are and they should be and you should constantly have these weak points every business and law firm changes throughout you know the history of their existence and you should constantly be aware of the areas where you need to grow the areas where you need to improve and if if you're not then there's a culture problem where people aren't willing to speak up and there's some some other major issue that needs to be addressed it's never the fault of the people you know, right. in the firm. Because yeah. everybody walks into the company, they get a new job. How do you like your new job? Hey, it's good. You know what they should do? Exactly. Exactly. Everybody they, has it. They, it's like right they, on the tip of their tongue. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So it's really about top management giving giving their employees permission to think like entrepreneurs and to think like they are owners of the company 
whether yeah. they are or they're not, or partners in the firm, in order to move things forward. Otherwise, you're not taking advantage of your best resource. Yeah, and that can be a revolutionary idea in law firms, because I, I find a lot of lawyers are challenged to even think about their work in terms of a business to begin with. You know, they feel like they're these advocates, and there's, you know, this kind of very different, higher calling that a lot of lawyers have been, you know, brought to. And so to even think of a law firm in terms of a profitable business that has revenue, and you need to be thinking, you know, all of the business ideas is not always something where people, where lawyers are starting. Well, you know what? It has that in common a little bit with entertainment. Because, well, think about it. Entertainment is where art meets business. And the artists, you know, the artists are about their art. They're about, you know, doing what they do best and getting their messages out and getting their films out and getting their programming out. And that doesn't always correspond too well to the business of entertainment. And we've all heard those stories. I think you have to have a part of your business that, as you were describing it, it's about heart. It's about dedication to some higher ideal. Because you don't want to just be a lawyer because your dad was a lawyer. You want to be a lawyer because you think it's a worthwhile profession and you can help people and you can make a living and you can, you know, have a future in it. So all of those things come together. And yes, there is a portion of you that is like, it's not about the business. It's about the law. You know, okay, I get that. It's not about the business. It's about the entertainment. You know, it's about the art form. It's the same situation. Right. Yeah. But you can't have one without the other. You can't have Comedy Central without the business side of it and the advertisers and all of those things. And the same thing with a law firm. Like you can be as idealistic as you want as a lawyer, but if you can't pay your bills, <laughs> then you can't do your work. So, you know, like there's there's a balancing act in, in all of those things in, in recognizing the business side of these things that, you know, that like you described. So Art, tell me the book that you're, you were, we were talking about this fascinating book that you're reading. What's the book that you have to recommend? Yeah, actually, my daughter gave it to me. She, she works in a bookstore. Oh, she awesome. She's probably me, got some awesome recommendations. She knows what's happening. It's called The Dawn of Everything, A New Ooh. History of Humanity by David Graeber and David Wingrow. This book is not for the faint of heart. It's I think it's like 800 pages or something. And okay. You, know, I, I, you look at a book like that, and I, I did the same thing. You know, I've read long books in my life and history books and everything. And you look at it and you say, man, I'm not going to get through this thing. And then I started reading it, and suddenly I'm fascinated. Because what they're talking about is how states formed, meaning, you know, cultures and countries, and also how the concept of freedom played into that formation. And it is just, and most of the book is them saying, you know, for years, archaeologists and philosophers and all said this, but they were wrong. And, you know, they, you know, he takes apart some of the great, he, Jared Diamond, who's a particular favorite of mine, who wrote Germs, Guns, and Steel. Oh, that was Guns, a great Germs, book. Yeah, yeah, great book. Uh, they just say, nah, Jared got it wrong. And they, they kind of talk about that. So it's a very interesting book. And very well-researched. I mean, it's got zillions of footnotes if you care. But I, I can't stop turning the pages, you know, and that's not what you expect. So, yeah, and it gives you an insight into the world. 
that you may not have had before. Yeah, so I recommend it. Well, I mean, talk about an insight into the world. I feel like we just had this little window into the creation of a comedy channel, which, I mean, how often do we get to hear about that and the history of how that came about? And it's so fascinating. I just, I I feel like there is a tie in there that I'm trying to kind of bring together. (laughs) But but that, that, that book sounds amazing. We'll obviously have that on the library page on the website and link to it in the show notes and everything. But Art, what's a big takeaway that you want our listeners to get from this show? Well, I think the big takeaway is what you were talking about, is the fact that, you know, if you don't know who you are as a firm or as a company or as a brand, you're going to be floating around and missing a lot of opportunities. So it's worth taking the time and making the effort. And believe me, it takes time and effort. And it's a constant undertaking. You know, you you constantly have to attend to it. It's not something you do once and walk away from. You really have to pay attention. So I think that's I important. feel like that was such that that was really what I was getting to just going through all the different iterations of comedy. What was the first name of the channel? Comedy The Comedy um, Channel. The Comedy Channel. And then you've got Comedy Central, but then you've got MTV coming in with Ha and you know all these different variations that all eventually lead down the path towards what we have now. And recognizing that, you know, early on when I was talking about, you know, MTV doing things wrong, none of those were really wrong. This was just part of that process in getting to where things are now. And if you if anyone had stuck in the mud and decided, no, we're going to stay with this path, we're not going to change, we're not going to, you know, take variations, then it wouldn't have worked either. So that's the kind of lesson for most things in life. Recognize that you have sort of a pl- sort of a plan and that plan is going to always just change and you have to roll with it as it does. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's really important. And listen, that's what I talk a lot about in the book. Um, the book's a memoir, it's the whole thing from my point of view. It's really about what I had to do to keep the thing going in the face of incredible failure and just how we shaped it and how how it was such a team effort to come So up, does to the book cover together. the whole history from like the no, beginning up to no. the merger? Where it, what it, what period is it covering? It it covers my period. <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> the 8 years sense. I was there from the time from the time I came up with the idea a little before that little background on me because it is a memoir through the time I left comedy 8 years later and I know what you're going to say. Oh, why'd you leave? And the answer is, I got fired. You know, I'm sure everybody goes through that, or a lot of people go through that. But I talk a lot about what that was all about in in the in the last couple chapters. It's very hard, and getting fired gave me a whole new perspective on getting fired and people who've been fired. They're not necessarily bad people who've done a bad job, you know, because I wasn't a bad person to do who done a bad job. As a matter of fact. What do you have to do to keep a job in this town? That was my first thought. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, how about inventing the channel, you know, or coming Yeah, and there it. really is such a stigma with it. And, you know, and everybody automatically jumps to conclusions about how you did things wrong or you were a bad person, like you said. Yeah, or you didn't um, show up for work or you called the boss's wife fat. I mean, right, you know, you just I, made just some like, major right, mistake. Right, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds fascinating. I can't wait. So the combination of your book, which is Constant Comedy, and then The Dawn of Everything, I feel like we've got the history of everything combined with some comedy. You can, <laughs> what else you could can you want? You can pretty much read those things and then stop reading. Yeah, you know, you're, you're good. You're done. 
You are good. I will mention that my book's out in audiobook if you already have stopped reading. And I (laughs) and I do the narration if you can stand that for seven and a half hours. So, you know, any way you want to consume it. I think it's an interesting story with lots of lots of fun stuff. It's pretty funny, lots of funny stuff and lots of sad stuff too, I think. Yeah, well, and just the idea of how you can bring that around to whatever story or business or law firm or whatever you're building, it's always fascinating to see how these things happen and then, you know, figure out how you can learn from that. Awesome. Well, Art Bell, thank you so much for being here. Art Bell is a writer and former media executive. And find his book and all of the links to The Dawn of Everything and everything else in our show notes. Thanks again for your time, Art. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.